This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater's America, the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. So for this segment, I want to try something here. Uh, I'm going to come at it from the perspective of a progressive. I'm going to make this uh, disclaimer in the beginning, in the middle, and in the end. Uh, I'm going to get an email from someone saying, Slater, why are you giving them advice? I love that criticism. I got that criticism when uh, we talked about uh, or when we gave Hillary Clinton advice during the campaign. Uh, I'm honored that you think I have that much influence over anything, uh, let alone the entire progressive movement. But I'm not giving this advice for their sake. Uh, I'm giving them advice so that you know what to look for. So that you know if they're not doing this, then they're failing, as they are. And you will be aware if if they have figured it out. Right? If, if they do this advice that I'm going to give them, then it means they caught on. And if they caught on, it means it's going to be a lot harder for, uh, well, at least for Trump to, to get stuff done. So that's why I am coming at it from the, prog- from the perspective of a progressive. The question is very simple. What advice would I give to the Democratic Party? What advice would I give to the media? to defeat Trump. Now, technically, I'm not going to answer that question. Uh, I'm going to let Andres Rondon answer it. Andres is from Venezuela. Venezuela is a failed state, completely failed state. Chavez is a horrible dictator who led the country, which is floating on oil, into a complete economic and societal collapse. We've shared many stories from Venezuela. Venezuela is the, the, sto- the country where... Uh, Hospitals have no electricity, so they have to pump respirators by hand for babies. Right? So you got baby incubators and respirators. They have to pump them by hand, and babies die every night just because they have no electricity. And they're performing surgery on blood-soaked operating tables because they have no water. It's a total cesspool, the whole country. And it's all caused by a failed government. It doesn't have to be this way. So this Venezuelan says that Donald Trump and Chavez— Hugo Chavez, are both masters of populism. Now, not saying, of course, that Donald Trump is a murderous dictator. That's not the point. We're only comparing their populist appeal. That's the only thing that these two have in common, their populist appeal, which is undeniable. So what is populism? How does populism work? Pretty simple. First, you find a common wound. Then you blame someone for it. And then you tell a good story about how you're going to fix it. Pretty simple. One, two, three. Common wound. Whatever that is. Jobs moving overseas, for instance. 
Uh, and then you tell the wounded that you know how they feel. Then you find someone to blame, and then you you, you cartoon them. Uh, you put this group of people into uh, one one group, or you put a group groups of people into one big group, uh, and they are the enemy. Then you paint yourself as the savior, and you got to capture their imaginations, not with policy, but with a good story. And then a little anger and vengeance goes uh, goes a long way too, and that's how it becomes a movement. So throughout all of human history, this is pretty much how populist movements work. You have a wound, an enemy, and a savior. The simplicity of it is why it works. Wound, enemy, savior. So if you're just tuning in, I'm advising progressives here. I'm giving some advice to progressives. I'm advising CNN, the New York Times, the organizers of the Women's March, the rioters at Milo's speech, etc. First piece of advice. And this is the toughest part. You have to realize New York Times. You have to realize CNN. You have to realize people at the Women's March. You are the enemy. In, in, this, in this populist phenomenon that's going on, and clearly the populists won, right? Donald Trump won on a populist rise. That's it. So in this populist phenomenon, you are the enemy. In the great divide between city and country, where country is winning, Trump, you, kumbaya singing, hand-holding, transgender, bathroom-loving, godless, soulless, globalist, you are the enemy. And the populists have put you in a nice little category to vilify. You must recognize this. You must, you must, you must. I'm not saying you're bad. I'm not saying you're evil. I'm not saying you're sinful. I'm just saying to the populists, you are the enemy. Nothing else. Nothing else is the enemy. You are the enemy. So progressives, if you want to stop Trump, you have to realize you are the enemy. Okay, that's step one. Now, once you come to that realization, and it's tough to come to that realization because no one wants to view themselves that way. But if you come to that realization, the second thing is you have to not fuel it. You have to disarm it. Andres tells his experience, and this is why I'm, uh, I'm citing him, because he lived through this. He was the enemy. He was the elite. He was an intellectual. He was the rich in, in Venezuela. And he and people like him tried to convince people not to follow this Chavez guy. And they did everything that the progressives are doing today. It starts off with, what, what are you people, nuts? What the heck is wrong with you people? You are, you're all insane. How can you follow this guy? What is wrong with you? Right? That, that whole thing. That just feeds the populism. It feeds into the belief by the populists that you, urban elite intellectuals, you are the problem. So what did the elites in Venezuela do? They tried a coup d'etat. They tried an oil strike. They even had all the opposition parties to, to Chavez withdraw from uh, a congressional election as some sort of weird protest. But then all the Chavez allies just won all the seats. So they just gave Congress to the other party like that. Like, that, like imagine if the Democrats were like, we're not going to run next election. <laughs> so Republicans won every single seat. Like, what? So this is what Andre says. He says, look, we were desperate. And if anything, history has proven that we were right to be desperate. But we, the elite, the intellectuals, we failed. Because, and this is where I'm getting to the point here, we lost sight that a hissy fit 
is not a strategy. The people on the other side, and crucially independents, will rebel against you, progressives, will rebel against you if you look like you're losing your mind. And worst of all, you will have proved yourself to be the very thing you are claiming to be fighting against, an enemy of democracy. And all the while, you're giving the populist and his followers enough rhetorical fuel to rightly call you a saboteur, an unpatriotic schemer for years to come. So you can't feed it. So you got to realize you're the enemy to the populists, and the populists are winning. So you got to realize you are the enemy. Say it with me, CNN. I am the enemy. Say it with me, New York Times. Everyone in the newsroom, we are the enemy to the populace. Okay, so do you want to stop this? Do you want to stop being the enemy? Do you want to stop being considered the enemy? Do you want to start winning? Do you want to be in charge? Okay, you got to realize, recognize you are the enemy. Then step two, don't fuel it. Disarm it. You have to disarm it. And a hissy fit only fuels it. Trying to tear it down only fuels it. Trying to delegitimize the populist leader, Trump, only fuels the populists. Trying to mock and ridicule the populist only fuels Donald Trump. So you can't tear it down. It won't work. You have to disarm it. How do you do that? I'll tell you next. This is it. This is the big thing. This is the key. And I share this again. If I'm not giving this, like Hillary Clinton's not listening. CNN's not listening. You will know that they have figured this out, however, when they do this third thing. Now, I don't know exactly what it'll look like, but you'll know it when you see it. We certainly haven't seen it yet. I'll tell you what it is next. one 888 Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. <laughs> Makes me laugh, Andrew. Thank you. Um, so progressives are panicked. We've seen it. We don't need to explain it. Um, everything Trump does is the end of the world, and women and children will be hit the hardest. Everything. There's just a. There's not an ounce of reasonable, sober analysis. Not a second of critical thinking. Not a second of trying to understand what's really happening. It's just, it's been unbelievable. This, in this last week, just like, I think on Thursday and Friday, there were like four stories where a reporter tweeted a report out, and then within an hour, they tweeted out, oh, never mind. <laughs> like like, like uh, Trump easing sanctions against Russian KGB an hour later. Uh, never mind. That, that's, not what, that's not what that is. What? what? Guys. 
The Weekly Standard did an article the other day about Democrats becoming the party of outrage. And, and there are some Democrats kind of starting to see the light. They're worried that if everything's an outrage, then nothing Trump does is outrageous. So they're starting to catch on a little bit already. But what do progressives need to do if they ever want to be taken seriously again? So I'm getting this advice from a man who was the enemy in Venezuela against the populist. He was an elite intellectual. So Chavez created a populist movement just like Trump did. A very simple formula if you're just tuning in. It's been done countless times in history. You find a common wound, then you blame the enemy, and you claim to be the savior. That's how it works. Sometimes it ends in Holocaust. Uh, sometimes it's, it's good. And I think Trump will be good, but the populist rise is still the same. All right, so three steps. First, enemies or, or progressives understand you are the enemy. Through the populist movement, you are the enemy. You have to understand that. If you want to stop being the enemy, stop with the hissy fits. And here's the key. This is how you got to solve it. You can't you can't fuel it. Don't try to don't try to tear Trump down. You're just going to build him back up. Same thing with the Berkeley protesters and Milo. Milo, the best case scenario when Milo goes to a college campus is the speech gets shut down. The best case scenario. He gets a thousand times more attention when the speech is shut down. A thousand times more. And he doesn't have to give a speech. Like he loves it when, when uh, the speeches get shut down. So, so that's a perfect example. It's a perfect microcosm of the elite trying to stop the populace from winning. No, don't tear them down. You can't. You have to disarm it. How do you do that? That's the key. Here it is. Number, step number three. You got to come down here for a second. You got to come down here. I, I can't find the right word for it. So let me just quote the man who lived it. He said, the problem is tribal. Your challenge, he's saying this to progressives, your challenge is to prove progressives that you belong in the same tribe as them. So you, New York Times, you, CNN, you belong in the same tribe as Trump supporters, that you have to prove that you are American in exactly the same way they are. In Venezuela, we fell into the abstraction trap in a bad way. The abstraction trap meaning... Um, the elite are way over there. They're in their bubble. They don't understand, right? They fell into that trap. We wrote again and again about principles, about the separation of powers, about civil liberties, about the role of the military in politics, about corruption and economic policy. But it took our leaders 10 years to figure out they needed to actually go to the slums and to the countryside. And not for a speech or a rally, but for a game of dominoes or to dance salsa to show that they were Venezuelans too. That they had rhythm and could hit a baseball and could tell a joke that landed. They had to prove that they could break the tribal divide, come down off the billboards and show they were real. In America, that would be like saying, um, Hollywood, come down off the big screen, come on down off your, your high horse and show that you're real. And he says, no, this is not populism by other means. It's the only way of establishing your standing. It's deciding not to live in an echo chamber. Only then will your message land. All right, so what does this look like in America? What does Hollywood need to do? Hollywood needs to stop distancing yourself. All right, so I'm a consultant for Hollywood. Stop distancing yourself. Make movies that appeal to everyone. Maybe if you appeared in a Christian movie every once in a while, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Don't lecture us on how MMA is beneath you. Go to an MMA fight. 
be one of the guys. <laughs> and and you know what? Maybe uh, producers, maybe you make a wholesome TV show. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard that the show This Is Us, or a buddy of mine uh, said This Is Us is a really good wholesome show. The, the, the men in the show are great dads, great husbands, really wholesome. And you know what? You don't have to add a gay character because you feel you need to. You just don't. You don't have to do that, just so you know. Which I guess This Is Us did. You don't have to. Media writes stories that appeal to people across the country. Not, not only appeal, but I mean, write stories that aren't just from the perspective of a New Yorker. Write stories that appeal to people from across the country. And if you're going to write a story about the rest of the country, don't write it for New Yorkers. Write it from the perspective of someone who is from the middle of the country. Remember the article from a couple weeks ago, a uh, New, New York Times article about how people in Texas like trucks. And it was like the writer went to Texas on a safari and reported back to the New Yorkers about all the trucks that are in Texas. Like, what? what is that? No, no, so you don't write stories about people in the middle of the country. Stories from the perspective of people in the middle of the country. Big difference. And just progressive people just go, go to the football game. Go hunting. Get excited about the county fair that's coming to town. Watch Duck Dynasty every once in a while. And just stop lecturing everyone about how a founding father owned slaves. Like, what? In short, and I know this is a big buildup, but progressives, if you want to be trusted again, and I don't know if this sounds too simple or too hard, I'm not sure, but if you ever want to be trusted again, you got to come down off your perch and prove that you are American in exactly the same way that country folk are. That's what you got to do, because that's the great divide. We've shared it a million times, and it's been the way for thousands of years. We are tribal by our nature. So prove you, and it's on you now. I'm sorry it is that way, but again, that's why step number one is so important. You have to recognize that in this populist movement, you are the enemy. So you got to recognize that, right? So you have to, you, it's on you, sorry, it's on you to prove that you are in the same tribe as everyone else and that you want to be in the same tribe as everyone else. That's the only way that the power of the populist leaders will disintegrate. It's the only way. So keep an eye out for it. If you see progressives doing that, media, all the rest, if you see them doing that, then they're maybe starting to catch on. But the hissy fits and the freaking out, that's a sure sign that they ain't. I got a minute here. I was uh, in Tennessee all week. My uh, my wife's from, from a town called Dayton, Tennessee, just outside Chattanooga, small little town. We were visiting her friends, and uh, it was her friend's first time seeing our, our son. Tiny town. Have you ever seen the movie Friday Night Lights or the show? No, we, I've never seen the movie, but we've watched the show Friday Night Lights. It's set in a, in a made-up town called Dillon, Texas. So Dayton, Tennessee, where my wife grew up, is Dillon, Texas, except, as my wife said, we don't have an Applebee's. So it's, even, it's smaller than Dillon. Anyway, one morning we went to the Dayton coffee shop for breakfast to get some biscuits. And I love the Dayton coffee shop because a couple of years ago was the first time I went. And I was looking at the breakfast menu. And, you know, you had your two eggs, two pancakes, whatever. But at the bottom, you know, they have extras. Like if you want extra bacon or extra whatever. Every extra egg was 35 cents an egg. This was like a couple of years ago. This wasn't 1954. This was a couple of years ago. And I, I said, is this a, are you for real? Like 35 cents an egg? And they're like, yeah. And I said, I'll have six. So we went the other day and they raised the price. 60 cents an egg now. 
Thanks, Obama. But I ate them anyway. I had some biscuits and gravy. It's good stuff. Anyway, cash only. <laughs> it was cash only. We had no cash. So I go up to the, 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 the waitress. There's a cashier up the front there. That's how you pay. I go up and I go, ooh, ma'am, I think we have a problem. And I held up my credit card. And she goes, oh, looks like you're going to have to do some dishes. <laughs> she goes, ah, it's just joking, hon. You can come back pay later. I said, what? She said, yeah, no problem. Come back later today, tomorrow. I said, how often does this happen? She's like, eh, pretty much every day. I said, do people actually pay? She says, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've never had someone not come back and pay. Country versus city, she's different. Mike Slater Show, Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later. We only have two more segments left. Uh, let's chat about this because I said we would. Uh, very interesting phenomenon going on in our country now. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if this keeps going. I don't know what this looks like ultimately. Uh, I don't know if it peters out. I don't. I don't know what happens. Uh, but it's worth knowing it's happening before November. All the arguments from the left. Excuse me. All the argument from the left was. Uh, companies, corporations don't belong in politics. Corporations aren't people. My favorite example of this, my least favorite, is the CEO of Mozilla. The web browser getting fired because they found out that six years prior, he donated a thousand bucks to Prop 8 to support traditional marriage in California. And people found out about that and got him fired. And the whole thing was business don't, doesn't belong in politics, even though he did that as a private citizen. Okay, so that was before November. But now the line is, how dare you, company, not get involved in politics? And it just happened just like that. So BuzzFeed has decided to go on these corporate witch hunts. And they're literally calling out every tech company to see if they have a statement about Trump's executive order. About immigration and refugees and visas, which like has zero effect on them, really. Maybe the visa part of the executive order... But I don't think there's many tech companies hiring people with visas from the Sudan. So I don't I don't even see that connection. But isn't that amazing? This is the New York Times. This is August of last year. How think tanks amplify corporate America's influence in politics. And then, of course, Bernie Sanders' whole crusade was to make sure that companies have less influence in D.C. And then here we have Sophie Thalay, I don't know, some fashion company, tweeted out to their followers this long open lender letter about how their voice is an expression of artistic and philosophical ideas and something like just like super blowhardy letter that who asked for like so we're at the point now where if corporations don't get involved in politics then they get attacked what the heck i don't know when this started who who cares what Uber thinks? <laughs> like what? It, I think that'd be so odd if I just went 
to like a bakery. I was like, what do you think of Trump's Supreme Court pick? They're like, what? We make pie here. So, so big picture, what is this? So in the social media world, there is a desire uh, that everyone has who's in it to try and out outrage everyone else. That's part of the victimhood, the currency of victimhood. You need to be out. You need to be so outraged. You're more outraged than anyone. That's just that proves how outraged you. So, so if you're not a direct victim, then you can still get victim points for being more outraged than anyone else. So you can't just have a sensible disagreement. You can't be concerned about something. You have to be apoplectic about it. You have to be so distraught that you can't even. And then you get bonus points um, for really caring about this issue. So the goal is to out outrage everyone. So with this executive order, the, the visa refugee one, the taxi companies went on strike. Right? So they weren't giving people rides to JFK for some reason. And I first heard that. I guess this would have been Sunday, last Sunday. And I first heard that and I thought, well, man, all right. Like, I don't even know why there are taxis anymore. People just take an Uber, so whatever. And Uber kept being Uber. And then they got attacked for being scabs to the taxi strike. Right? They, they got attacked for having the gall to still drive people to and from the airport, which is what their business is. So then Uber had to come out and make a statement about how they're against the executive order. But then Lyft... It's like, oh, the totally out-outraged Uber. Like, we're way more outraged than Uber. And said they're donating a million dollars to the ACLU over the next four years. And, uh, like, what? And then Airbnb got involved somehow. Like, Airbnb was like, we're the most outraged. And then, like, like I said, BuzzFeed is like, tracking down. They're making a list. What does IBM say about it? Have they spoken out yet? It's like, what are you doing? So what should companies do? Probably nothing. But if they really want to do good for their business, they should not be cowards and stand up for what's right all the time. And my advice to business owners, small business owners, who are always, you know, I want to speak out about this tax rate or this regulation or whatever, but I don't want to you know, have the government come after me. Never forget Chick-fil-A. This is always my advice. Never forget Chick-fil-A. First of all, delicious. And they're opening up one. I'm not joking. Uh, 200 yards from my house. Like huge problem. Huge, huge problem. How can I not get a cookies and cream milkshake three times a day or four times a day every time I drive by? What, like, what am I supposed to do? That's just, it's just taunting me it's free it's like i can smell it hmm. anyway uh, i remember a couple years back they said we support traditional marriage I'm like oh you're so bigoted and cities are like we won't even let you in our city anymore chicago is like chick-fil-a doesn't represent chicago values whatever those are the next week lines around the block business booming priceless marketing and with this executive order most americans support it so i don't even know who uber's catering to with this so why is this happening? It's all because these companies are in San Francisco. That's why it's all tech companies, right? All the tech companies have to speak out because they're in the bubble that is San Francisco. And the people there are hystericals. The, 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 San Francisco is full of hystericals right now because of Trump. So they need to do something. 
So they're going to boycott Airbnb until you are appropriately outraged, like I am. Right, their employees revolt until their bosses turn into entire, you know, just giant mouthpieces for every progressive issue. So you got tech companies in San Francisco, and then all the media people are in D.C. So you got these two groups trying to outflank each other on the left. Meanwhile, everyone else in the rest of the country doesn't care what they think and supports what Trump is doing. So whatever. And notice that BuzzFeed and all these other, like the witch hunt, is not asking John Deere what they think about. Trump's executive order. You know, they list like, well, what does Airbnb and IBM think about it? Did you ask Walmart? No, they didn't ask Walmart. They didn't ask John Deere. They didn't ask Chick-fil-A because those are country companies versus the city companies. Very, very weird. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how this keeps going. I don't know what's next there. I don't know if, like, could Uber, there's no way this would work, but would Uber ever say we're not going to serve people who voted for Trump or something like that? There's no way they could do that. But I don't know much longer they can get away with this just super self-righteous, blowhardy, uh, oh, we're so disappointed with our, our company's about uh, unity and blah, blah, blah. 1-888-933-93, 1-888-933-93. When I come back with... Um, conversation I had the other day with a Muslim refugee from Iraq who worked with the Navy SEALs while in Iraq for a long time. Asked him what he thinks about this executive order. We'll tell you what he said next. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater is on. Slater Crusader. So uh, this was as of, and I'm sorry, I haven't looked this number up again, but I, I, the last I saw it was on Tuesday. So the executive order about visas and refugees was on Sunday, Saturday, Sunday. So from like three days, 872 refugees were granted waivers from those seven countries. And we said a million times, everything is on a case-by-case basis. And for anyone who got detained in the airport, they were released, every single one of them. It's amazing. So I was talking to, uh, this guy's name is Johnny Walker. He's got a book out. He was Iraqi man. He he was an Iraqi man, I guess, from Iraq. Uh, And he worked with the U.S. military as a translator. He worked his way up and and earned uh, the opportunity to work alongside the Navy SEALs for about five years. And in exchange, he was granted refugee status, came to America. He lives here in San Diego. And I talked to him about this. And he, I talked to him a year and a half ago when Trump first threw this idea out there. And I talked to him just the other day. And he thinks it makes perfect sense. He says it's totally reasonable. He said, you have no idea who these people are. You can't tell if they want to do harm to America. And I said, but, and this was a year and a half ago. I said, but you're a Muslim refugee. And he said, yeah, but you know me. The SEALs know me. They know my family. I've saved their lives. I've risked my life. They know I love this country. You know me. 
So the other day, we talked about the inconvenience of this for people. And he's like, listen, in his words, he goes, I go to the airport. I have a thick accent and an ugly face. I get pulled aside when I'm at the airport because I have a funny name, too. His real name is not Johnny Walker. It's his code name. He said, I got pulled aside. I get asked a bunch of questions. It takes a long time. But then they let me go. And that's just the way it goes. He said, it's worth it. It's worth being here. Two weeks ago, I talked to a World War II veteran, Mr. Briggs. 93 years old. I'll never forget. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. I had to drag every detail out of him. And it wasn't because he was like, it was like difficult to relive his war experience. It wasn't that. It was because he's so humble and matter of fact about it. It's just no big deal. So the, real quick, he was a, a pilot. He, his plane got shot down by the Nazi, Nazis. He had to parachute out over the Alps. He landed hard, uh, broke his shoulder. So he's alone in the Alps, freezing cold, no food, all the rest, broken shoulder. And he had to hike down to somewhere. He's in enemy territory. And he came across. It's so funny. Like He, he talks about this. Like I tell the story of how last weekend I went to Target to buy some milk. And they were out. So I had to go to the grocery store down the street. Like, like I, I, I tell my harrowing journey about how I bought milk with just as much enthusiasm uh, and drama as this man tells about getting shot by the Nazis out of the Alps and landing, breaking his shoulder in the middle of enemy territory. Right? Like, what, what? So here, here's the craziest part of the story, though. He's, again, in enemy territory. Totally hopeless. I mean, where's he going to go? And he comes across a house with a cross on the front of it. Now, he, his dad was a, a minister, and he's a Christian, and he comes across a house with a Christian family in it. Now, you would think, perfect, I'm going to knock on their door. And see, I mean, it's worth better than this. But he didn't. He didn't knock on their door. Why not? My first thought was maybe because uh, maybe, maybe they could still be bad. They could still be Nazis. They could still hate them and kill them. No, he didn't knock on their door because he thought it would put them in danger. If the Nazis found out that they helped an American, then they would be in trouble. So he kept walking. And then he came across another Christian's home and he didn't go in again. And then he was captured and put in a prisoner of war camp for six months, lost 40 pounds, almost died until the war was over. What? How could he have so much consideration for other people in the middle of so much pain and misery and hopelessness for himself? I will never forget that. Never for as long as I live. So I don't know. I, I, I think about this with Trump's delay. It's a delay on refugees and people with visas. Yes, it's, it's hard for certain people. But as Johnny Walker said, it's worth it. And if you're a guest in this country, wouldn't you, you maybe not want, but at least respect a country's desire to make sure that everyone who does come here wants to be here as much as you do. That seems sensible, sensible doesn't it? Now, I want to give a, uh, a quick little shout out here to Mika Brzezinski. Mika Brzezinski in Morning Joe, she said the other day, she just kind of threw it out there, and I don't know to the extent of this. I don't exactly know, even know what it looks like, but she said she's working on adopting a Syrian family. So I imagine this is a bit of a sponsorship program, right, where you adopt a family and you, that, that means you financially support them and sort of help them get comfortable here in America. I think that's great. 
Like, that's awesome. Because that's actually helping refugees. And this isn't your, your super self-righteous narcissism of Twitter activism, which is the laziest form of activism in all of human history. Like, like if you say, oh, I care so much about this cause, I'm going to send a tweet about it. That, there's nothing more pathetic. Or, or I guess even less is uh, I'm going to change my Twitter avatar to a rainbow. And then sit back and congratulate yourself about how wonderful and caring and tolerant you are. That's Twitter activism today. And I love that. If you, for Mika, if you want to help refugees, don't just criticize other people for not helping them. Because the truth is you're not either. So let's say average conservative person who doesn't want refugees in America, they're not helping refugees. But you're not helping them either. Just by saying you want more here, like that's not helping. Go help them financially, perhaps. Like Mika, adopt a family. And by the way, that used to be the norm, right? You would sponsor families. That's how that worked. Nicholas Winton's the best example of this that I that I've ever seen. World War II, he was in England. He went to Germany uh, to help get Jewish children out of the country before uh, Hitler really started killing everyone. And he asked the British government if they could take the kids, and they said only if you can find a sponsor for the children. So he put together these books with the kids' pictures and. Um, family sponsored these kids and then you got the travel documents put them on a train to their sponsored families anyway that's active involvement from people who want to help not just a twitter hashtag please search for the mike slater show on facebook follow us all week and we'll see you next saturday spread the word you're listening to mike slater part of the next generation of talk radio on the blaze radio network